0: And acceptable and perfect. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Do you feel at times like the Christian life is overly hard? Why is it so hard? Why is following after God so hard and there's several barriers that are always in our way. First is that knowledge barrier. How are we to know what we're supposed to know about God? There's so much to understand that we can be overwhelmed by it. Surely if you've been with us at all throughout the Romans uh, lesson or our series, there have been times where we've hit passages in Romans and you're just like, Paul, can you just speak like a normal person because this is confusing not all israel is israel okay what what do you mean it's confusing it's hard but not only is there a knowledge barrier there's a sin barrier we are consumed with the pleasures all around us there is nothing that we enjoy more than pleasing ourselves we want it our way on our time and don't you dare for one second hinder my way and my time we have sinfulness we claim faith with our mouth but we don't live it out we don't make it a priority everything else is more important to us not only that We don't trust others. You have to earn my trust. You have to earn my favor. You have to be... I have to be sure that you're worthy of my time and my help. So we become the standard by which we measure knowledge, truth, and even the gospel. And our knowledge and the way we think becomes the pinnacle of everything. This is the standard by not only which I will judge my life, but by which I will also judge your life. And we do this to each other, right? So I stand here making you try to live after me and you stand there making me try to live after you. And it ends up in a mess. And at the end of it all, it's not the true gospel. It's not the true message But today we come to one of the best known passages, and certainly in Romans, perhaps the whole New Testament, dare I say the whole of the Bible. This is one of those passages that maybe some of you could have recited by heart, particularly verse two, right? Do not be conformed by this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. This is something that we've heard over and over again and we like it, but what does it even mean? Paul here is using very vivid words and imagery to compel a deep truth, excuse me, to convey a deep truth. He has shown us throughout Romans that we need the gospel because we are sinners. And he has shown us that the Christian's response to God's grace should be to worship and adore him and, and this first two verses of chapter 12 become a pivotal point in the book of romans they look back on what paul has already argued but they also look forward to what will follow i had a, a campus minister once to call this chapters 12 and on the forgotten parts of romans Because we love the first half of Romans in a sense. Romans 1 through, or chapters 1 through 11 are all about theology, and it's good, and it's rich, and it's deep, and we like that theology. But chapters 12 and on say, now, how are you going to live that theology out? And that's not as nice. Because Paul's going from preaching to meddling, right? Oh, yes, this is good. We like When you tell us about the mercies that are ours in Jesus Christ, but we don't like it when you tell us that those mercies extend to other people. And not only that, but we have to extend those mercies to other people. We don't like that. And so this becomes a pivotal moment in this passage or in this, in the whole of the book. How do we live out the Christian life? What effects should our new identity have on our life? Paul is showing us the importance of doctrine, but he's also showing us the practice of our faith. How do we love one another? How do we submit to authorities? Ooh, that's going to be an interesting one coming up. How do you submit to the government? How do you refrain from judging others? How do you keep others from stumbling? And this two verses becomes the pivot. So as we come to this, these two verses this morning, we're going to see three things. First, we're going to see the mercies of God. Second, we're going to see the sacrifices of our bodies. And third, we're going to see the renewing of our mind, the mercies of God, the sacrifice of our body and the renewing of our mind. Paul begins here in verse one, I appeal to you, therefore, therefore is a weighty word. I appeal to you, therefore, and we must give this word its full weight. Paul, in essence, is saying this. Because of everything I've said for 11 chapters, of course, he didn't say 11 chapters. There were no chapters. But he says, because of everything I've already said to you in my letter, therefore, therefore, Everything that he's about to say is built upon everything that he has already said. I appeal to you, therefore. So he's also making an appeal. This is also could be translated as exhortation. I exhort you, therefore. Or therefore, I exhort you. This comes with authority. As one who is the mediator of God's Truth. So what is he saying? Because of what I've already taught you, because of what I've already said in Romans, I've shown you the mercy of God in action. I've shown you that he will give his mercy to whom he will give his mercy to. I have shown you that you have, you must respond to God's mercy and praise. Therefore, I exhort you, I appeal to you, but he doesn't stop there. How does he appeal to them? By what does he appeal to them? He says by, this could also be translated as through, by or through the mercies of God. Uh, in essence, he's saying because of the mercy of God, in view of the mercies of God, I exhort you. The source of his appeal is nothing less than the mercies of God. The mercies of God that we have experienced in Christ Jesus. These mercies that have past benefit, benefit, but also benefit us moving forward. God's mercies manifested in his spirit's work where he renews us both inwardly, but he also renews us outwardly he impels us to the obedience the gospel demands. And again, we've seen this in Romans. Romans five twenty one. Grace now reigns over us so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ. Our Lord, you have been given grace. You have been shown mercy. It reigns now in your life and you are to show that mercy to others. And so we come now and we offer ourselves to him. Which is going to be the next thing we see here. But before we move on, we have to stop here. What is Paul really saying? How are we to understand the mercies of God? The mercies of God are the heart of God. The reality, the essence of the gospel. Again, Paul and Romans, you who were enemies of God are now called sons and daughters. You who were far off have been made close. So the question is this. Paul is appealing to. To you, through the mercies of God, are the mercies of God a reality for you? Each and every day, do you understand fully and wholly what Christ has accomplished for you? And I think there is times where this is certainly true. We feel God's mercies. We understand the grace we've been given. But equally true is we we fail to understand. We neglect his wonderful truth. We take it for granted. We begin to treat it as something that's not freely given, but as something that we are owed, something that we deserve. God, you must show these mercies to me because I'm a really good person no if you know me you know that's not true so on one hand we fail to understand his mercies because we become puffed up and arrogant but on the other hand we fail to understand his mercies because the evil one is continually sowing doubt there is no way God would show mercy to me have you met me Do you know what kind of wretched person I am? But Paul says, no. I understand what kind of wretched person you are. Do you know why? Because I understand what kind of wretched person I am. But thanks be to God that he has given us his son, Jesus Christ. And so I appeal to you through the mercies of God. So this is who he's identified. You brothers who are in Christ Jesus, you sisters who are in Christ Jesus, who have received these mercies, what are you to do? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul uses here the language of sacrifice. And this is very fitting with both the New Testament and all of scripture. And throughout the New Testament, we see that Christ or excuse me, Christians no longer offer a literal sacrifice. Christ has brought the sacrificial system of the Old Testament to an end. We no longer go to a temple. We no longer go to an altar. We no longer... Offer the bloody sacrifice on that altar. But this does not mean that we are done sacrificing. We now offer a spiritual sacrifice. 1 Peter 2.5 You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Hebrews 13.15 Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. We are to continue to offer up sacrifice of our very selves, of the whole of our body. This means every last bit of you, from head to toe, is to be offered as a sacrifice to God. It is all of who we are, our interaction with God, with each other, with the world around us, everything. And he qualifies this in three ways. First, he says, You offer up your bodies as a living sacrifice. What does this mean to say a living sacrifice? Well, I think there's a kind of a play on words going on here. There's a sense in which this is no longer a slaughter sacrifice, right? But I don't think that's primarily what he's saying here. This is a living sacrifice, a sacrifice that doesn't end it keeps on going the whole of your life is to be a sacrifice to god it continues until we move into heaven but not only is it to be a living and unending sacrifice it's to be holy this word holy is is used often of sacrifices even in the old testament it's to be set apart dedicated to the service of the lord So it's to be living, it's to be holy, it's to be acceptable to God. This should be the goal of our sacrifice as we sacrifice ourselves to please God who has shown us his mercy. And we'll talk more about soon how we know what is pleasing to God. But he finishes here by saying, which is your spiritual worship? Worship. He says, this is your spiritual, your true worship. The word here for spiritual is the Greek word logikin. It means spiritual. Uh, But what does that mean to say it's a spiritual sacrifice? Uh, First Peter and 2, 2 uses that same word like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. That's the same word used here that by it, you may grow in salvation Or grow into salvation. So, what does this mean? I I think there's a twofold meaning here. It's spiritual in the sense of the inner worship that involves the mind and the heart, the whole of us. But it's also, this word can also mean rational. Spiritual is rational, giving God what he truly wants as opposed to the depraved worship of those under the power of sin. So, it's true worship, not worship as we see fit, but worship as God sees fit it is not merely a matter of outer attitude it is a inward attitude of true spiritual worship we need renewed minds so that we can adequately and sufficiently worship god as we understand the mind of God, it leads us to true worship. And Paul very intentionally is continuing this language of worship here. Worship is something that has been done throughout the whole of scripture. And there's a sense here where he's contrasting the Old Testament worship of the Jew with the New Testament worship of the Christian, how it's no longer a bloody sacrifice, but a living sacrifice. we look to the once for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ Christians are now priests we are the temple where he is revealing himself so worship has moved out of the temple yes we regularly meet as is right because here we mutually medif- edify excuse me edify one another But the sacrifice of our bodies is something that we do day by day. So you have to ask yourself, are you daily, daily sacrificing your body to God? Are you daily sacrificing your body to God? The imagery here is not done half heartedly when you think about the Old Testament, Old Testament sacrifices what did the animal have to give for a sacrifice to happen everything its lifeblood was poured upon the altar he's saying you have to offer your body as a daily sacrifice holding nothing back Every last bit of you. It's no longer about what you want. It's no longer about your own preferences. It's no longer about your own comfort. The whole of your life is to be surrendered in worship to God. When when you're, when you're, when you're with your families, when you're at work, when you're sleeping, when you wake, when you're at church, when you're wherever you are the whole of your life it's about sacrificing your body to God the whole of yourself this is hard it's very hard for us to do to do and why is it so hard because i make you angry and you make me angry we become unsatisfied with one another we become unsatisfied with God. We don't meet each other's expectation. We gossip, we backbite. And all of this pollutes us. And he says, brothers and sisters, you Jews and Gentiles who are bickering with one another. One who says, we're the Jews, we're the people of God. And the others who said, no, you're old news. We're the people of God now. He says, look, offer up your bodies as a sacrifice. holy. Have a mind that seeks after God. And as you have a mind that seeks after God, you will live well with one another. It'll influence all that you do. If I were to ask this question, if we were to I were to give you a piece of cardboard or something, and I, I would say, Write the percentage of your life that daily you are giving up to God, and then we were to all just hold them up. What would we think those percentages would look like? Now, it's not about percentages, is it? It's not about what we earn for ourselves. But there's also a reality reality to be seen here. We are to be giving our whole of our bodies... As spiritual worship, as a living sacrifice, as something that is holy and acceptable to God. And and this seems unfair. <laughs> Not only does it seem unfair, it seems unreasonable and unobtainable. Daniel, you're setting a standard which cannot be met. Yes. Good, you're, you're with me. I'm setting a standard, Paul I should say, is setting a standard that cannot be met. But then he's going to tell us how to meet it, right? This is the second verse here. How are you to meet this standard? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. These two verses in a way are separate, but they are linked. Verse two gives the means by which we carry out verse one, do not be conformed, but be transformed. Do not be conformed to this world. What is he talking about here? He's Talking about this present evil age, this age defined by sin, this death producing realm, all that is included in Adam's fall. So he says, Do not conform yourselves to this present evil age. But what else is there? What else is, is there besides this present evil age? Well, there is Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus who gave himself to deliver us from this present evil age. Galatians 1.4. Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God. and To the will of our God and Father all those who belong to Christ. If you bear the name of Jesus Christ, you have been delivered from this present evil age. You have been transferred from the realm of death to the realm of righteousness and life. You no longer live in the old realm. Hear that. You no longer live in this present evil age. If you are in Christ Jesus, That is a right now reality. It's not that you're working to get out of this present evil age, no. You happen to reside in this present evil age, but you don't belong to it. You belong to Christ. We dwell here, but we are not citizens here. So we cannot be conformed to a place where we do not belong. Therefore, we must be transformed. This is a transformation on the deepest level by the renewing of your mind. I think it's interesting here and it's worth noting that Paul does not say you must be transformed by getting rid of your filthy, dirty habits. You must be transformed by trying harder to change your actions. Why does he not say that? Out of the mind, out of the heart, out of the mouth, flows what we feel and what we think and what we believe. And he says you must transform your mind Because as you transform your mind, your practical reason, your moral consciousness, or conscience, I should say, then you will no longer be conformed to this world, but you will be transformed. This is not something that takes place overnight, it is a lifelong process. As we grow each more and every day, our thinking then reflects more and more the mind of God. And so we have to be careful. And I give you just a moment of of caution. In a few months, uh, Gordon Reed will be here speaking with us once again. If I were to judge myself based upon him, That would be sad indeed for me because Gordon has been in the pulpit for 62 years. I have been in the pulpit for coming on four. If I were to go to Briarwood and judge myself by Frank Barker, I would feel poorly indeed, wouldn't I? Because he's probably been in the pulpit near as long. If we as Christians go to those around us and go, I'm not like that person, then it's a poor thing to do. We cannot judge ourselves by others, but we must be transforming our minds. It's a lifelong process that our thinking reflects more and more the mind of God. Interestingly here, this is, we've, I've called this the pivot point in Romans, What does Paul say at the very beginning of Romans, Romans 128? And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. When people reject God, God gives them over to a worthless mind. They cannot know truth about God. The purpose of the transformed mind is to reverse this. That we will be able to approve the things God approves to understand his will. And let me stop here for a second as well. Because when we talk about understanding the will of God, we have completely miscued this in our thinking. We like to think that if we're faithful enough and we pray enough, that we will somehow get the secret knowledge of God. That God will tell me, should I go down this path or should I go down this path? Well, maybe that's a bad example should I do this or do that and that's not what it's talking about to understand the will of God is to understand his word this is God's will for you this is his revealed will for you so it's not that as we we become like some sort of water finding and stick and as we get more faithful we can go oh God's my genie and I get to go this way and I get to go that way and he's going to tell me all the right answers that's not what he's saying here He's saying, as I understand his word, I am able to make informed godly decisions based upon God's will for my life. So when I'm sitting at the store and I go, hey, I really want this beef jerky and I can either pay for it or not pay for it. I don't have to go, God, tell me what you want me to do in this instance. And I'll either keep this jerky or pay for it. That's not what it's about. I go, well, I know he's told me thou shalt not steal. So I know his will for me in this situation. It's about the transforming of the mind so that we understand his word and that we can respond in the way he would have us to respond. We no longer look at the Old Testament law and we see it as a complete authoritative guard for our conduct. That's true, but we, we strive towards a renewed mind of a believer. It's a process that takes place through the whole of our life. Not that we're without law. We're under the law of Christ. Galatians 6.2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The Christian mind, when it is renewed, as it is renewed, is able to discern that which is pleasing to God. Therefore, Brothers and sisters, you cannot conform your your mind or yourselves to this world. It means this world is not your home. The things of this world are fleeting. The ideas and the beliefs of this world are contrary to the beliefs and the will of God. No matter how much approving of this world makes you feel good before others, It does not gain you right standing before God. So when the world comes and says, let me tell you, what you see as truth is no truth at all. We cannot approve that. We must not approve that. And this is even true on a personal level. We will often in this life talk about the things we want to do. I want to travel, I want to go here, I want to advance in my job, I want to have my life in the order and in the box that I want it to be in. Some of us, maybe preachers, are even so arrogant as to hold their theology as an object of pride. And all of these things are not bad in and of themselves. It's good to understand theology. It's good to want to travel. It's good to want to advance in your job and do your best. It's good to have an order for your life. But these things far too often take the priority of God in our life. Do we seek after God the same way we seek after a promotion? Do we seek after God the same way we seek after being right? Do we seek after God the same way we seek after our pleasures of travel, of fishing, of hunting, of quilting, of sewing, whatever it may be? Are we seeking God in the same way we seek our own pleasure? How can our mind be renewed? If we are not giving all of ourselves to God. And if our mind is not being renewed, what is it being? Conformed. Conformed to what this world would have us believe. Our goal has to be the mind of Christ. We must seek God first in all things. We must make His goals our goals. It is then that we find the renewal of our minds, that we are able to discern His will, to know what is good and right and perfect. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we must, by necessity, reprioritize our life and as we reprioritize our life I think we will find in a lot of cases we are focusing on the wrong things we must focus on that which is right I leave you with the words of Paul Because I think this is very important. We must reorientate our thinking. I appeal to you. I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And brothers and sisters, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. By, the, by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and is perfect.